0: now hello again and welcome to wither the luniversity the podcast of the peerless review i'm adam elwanger and i'm excited about my guest today uh he's professor emeritus at um ucla where he was a researcher in anthropology um achieved full professor there Um, He studies social behavior in non-human primates and humans. He's a winner of very many research grants, including some from the National Science Foundation. He's published a slew of scholarly publications over his 30-plus years in academia. And most recently, he made national news when he resigned his professorship a decision that he explains in his recent blog post entitled, Why I'm Leaving the University. We'll talk about that decision at length, but first, I wanted to welcome our guest, Professor Joseph Manson. Joe, thanks for talking with us.
1: Thanks, Adam. Thanks for hosting this podcast and giving me an opportunity to talk about the sorry state of higher education in this country.
0: I'm excited to hear about it, but before we get to that, I I want you to tell us what What about anthropology seduced you in the beginning? How did you become attracted to this field of study? And and tell us a little bit about your training in that field.
1: Uh, I've been interested in what makes people tick and what makes societies tick since I was a teenager. And uh, as um, an undergraduate um, at UC UC Santa Barbara and, and UC Berkeley, I discovered anthropology and was what enthralled me about it was the promise of um the broadest possible um study of the human condition um everything from uh, our primate ancestors of uh, tens of millions of years ago to um uh, to the to to religion and ritual um so it encompasses concerns that are associated with um uh, psychology and economics uh and um uh and sociology and 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 biology, um, and brings all those to bear on understanding uh, what it means to be human. Um So that's what got me into it. And um, my um, initial focus when I started graduate school uh, was um, what was at that time called human sociobiology. So um, uh, uh, studying human behavior from the standpoint of, uh, of uh, evolutionary or adaptationist um, theory. And um, uh, in an ethnographic context, so my, my first graduate advisor uh, in, when I started grad school in 1982 uh, was Napoleon Shagnon um, uh, at Northwestern University. Um, but within a few years, I had uh, switched to primate behavior, and that's what occupied my career um, uh, until the mid-aughts. Um, so I studied uh, mating patterns and mate choice in, uh, in rhesus monkeys. So my PhD dissertation is about that. Um, and then um, along with Susan Perry, uh, uh, did a study of um, lots of topics in social behavior in wild white-faced capuchin monkeys in Costa Rica. Um, that project's still going on, although I'm, I'm not part of it anymore. Um, and then, so in the mid aughts, for various reasons that aren't really very interesting, Uh, decided to transition back to studying humans, but not from an ethnographic point of view, but from a more um, uh, psychological point of view. So most of the research I've done the past 15 years would fit much more comfortably in a psychology department than an anthropology department. I was interested in um, uh, small group dynamics, and then more recently in personality variation, but all of the research is motivated by an evolutionary perspective. uh, so that that's that's the one unifying theme in in all of my work. So uh,
0: this is a, a sort of a question that I have for you of my own interest. Why does an anthropologist research primates? Is it only because we could see in them kind of a a proto-human sociology or or something to that effect that we could learn something about? the earliest forms of our civilization by looking at, at how they interact with one another? Is this where the evolutionary idea comes in?
1: Basically, yeah. So so primatology, behavioral primatology did not become part of anthropology until around the 1950s. Um, before that, what was then called physical anthropology and what we now call biological anthropology, um, was it was about the human fossil record and about uh, modern human genetic variation. And yes, the reason why primatology got got folded into biological anthropology was the idea that we can better interpret the human fossil record, especially those things which just don't fossilize, like behavior, um, by um, uh, comparison with uh, the behavior of of living non-human primates.
0: This is very interesting. Um, And I'm going to ask you some more about the state of anthropology generally. But first, we should get to... uh, um, the big news. Um, you recently announced on, on your blog um, that you were resigning your post as as full professor. Um, you've written a little bit about this story, but uh, the story is very much in line uh, with some of the concerns of this program uh, vis-a-vis the sort of woke revolution that's is unfolding in the academy. Um, and anytime I see someone like you resign uh someone who's a full professor at a research one university who's been in good standing in his field for a number of decades it turns my head because you are leaving what by all accounts would be considered a very comfortable job at, at least if we look at the 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 uh formal tasks of of this work um And so, uh, some of our viewers may have um, already read your blog post, but I wanted to hear you tell it uh, in in your own way, Uh, maybe from from the beginning of when you got wind of, of sort of the winds of revolutionary change sweeping through the university, up until the point at which you say you just didn't see kind of a reason to stay around anymore. And I might jump in here and there to ask you to elaborate on some of the points that uh, you didn't elaborate on in the blog post. So will you tell us about it?
1: The, the short version. Uh, so. Um, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, in 1974 published an essay called Live Not by Lies. And uh, recently, Rod Dreyer borrowed that title for a, a book. Um, And the argument is that um, totalitarian systems both generate and are dependent on a social order in which people uh, in their public personas uh, are constantly telling lies, lies that support the system and constantly and and pretending to believe lies told by others. Now, of course, the United States is not a totalitarian society or or were we wouldn't be having this conversation, but there are certainly some totalitarian ish qualities of life in many institutions, not just academic institutions uh, today. Um, there's pressure under threat of being fired or boycotted or ostracized to dissemble, to pretend not to be troubled by things that are, are very troubling, to, um, to pr- pretend to believe things we don't really believe. So I gradually realized that I had three choices. I could keep quiet, that is live by, live by lies, Um, about what I was seeing, I could speak out, and I concluded that that would have have changed nothing for the better. All it would have done is made my professional life miserable. Or I could leave, and because I'm financially able to, um, that's what I decided to do. That's the short. An even shorter version uh, is a paraphrase of something that Jonathan Haidt posted recently, which is, the woke are taking all the fun out of academic life.
0: Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's indubitable. Um, so let's say if you rewound in the years, when did this this journey to this point begin? I mean, was it a year or two ago? Was it after the 2020 riots and, and COVID? Or did it begin much earlier than that?
1: Um, it began around 2015 or 2016, uh, th- around the same time that... Um... Uh, there was, I mean, nationwide, there was the, um, the blow up at uh, University of Missouri. there was the, uh, the incident, uh, the, uh, incident at, at Yale with the Halloween costumes. Um, uh, and so shortly after that, there began to be um, that saved those same sort of processes in my department. Uh, the department had been gradually like one hired at a time had been come under the domination of a clique of the far left postmodernists. Um, they were not a, mi- a majority of the department, but they were by far the most influential uh, faction. Um, some of the things that first began to disturb me are things I can't talk about because they they happened at um, uh, in confidential deliberations. Um, the um, the the first, um, Uh, event that I can talk about that started me thinking along the lines that uh, I didn't want to be there anymore uh, was um, when my colleague Jeff Branningham, who uh, creates um, predictive models of crime so it is possible by um, uh, mapping where, where and when crimes are happening in a city, because they have a kind of auto correlative pattern that you can uh, by means of machine learning and algorithm can then predict where crime is likely to happen at a high frequency in the near future um and th- the purpose of the of the of the software is to help police to allocate limited resources right to where where to send patrols um, in 2018 the graduate student organization uh, in my department um uh passed a resolution um, condemning. Jeff and calling for um uh, an investigation of of uh, of his work by the vice chancellor for research and this 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 resolution um there's not a shred of of scholarly or there's not a shred of substantive content of any kind in it it's, it reads like a kind of a a, a medieval or early modern uh, proclamation of anathema um uh heresy. you know they a uh, heresy yes you know they accuse him of being complicit in criminalizing blackness and so on and so forth. I mean, it might, it might as well be saying that, you know, he's been consorting with Satan. Um, And, um, uh, and so based on this, then he was ostracized. Um, uh, People no longer spoke to him. The, um, uh, some of the faculty were sympathetic to these grad students um, forced him to, and I know this sounds, you know, Petty and meaningless, but um, uh, to cha- they, he wasn't allowed to use one of the course numbers, which, which is for one of the, a course that he teaches on the ecology of crime. Um, so he had been using a course number, which placed it among the sociocultural anthropology courses, and uh, and, and he was forced to uh, start using a different kind of number. I guess they didn't want you know that doesn't want...
0: seem petty though, because as you know, what that is is a way for his colleagues to signify you are not welcome here.
1: Exactly, you know
0: and and i wonder this this graduate student organization they presumably had no real standing to call for any kind of investigation at all this there's probably no formal channel for such a thing to begin with is there
1: no no there isn't and and you know to the credit of the administration there was no there was no investigation um uh, so lowest. yeah it was. it was yes <laughs> yeah uh, you know, they, they what they probably would have wanted to do is parade him around campus in a dunce cap. This um, is one
0: of the things that interests me reading about the software um that you were talking about, uh, that your colleague came up with is it it's characteristic of the woke mind, right? that um they never said that your colleague was actually trying to target anybody of some racial minority. So they completely allied the fact that in fact, there is a minority skew in terms of where crime happens and what crimes are committed. That has nothing to do with your colleague at all. Your colleague's software, I assume, is race blind. It's just looking at where the crime happens and they say that's racist. Is that right?
1: Yes. Uh, So, um, well, there's, I think in one version of the software, so, okay, so what, what gets coded is, where the crime, what kind of crime it was, where it happened, when it happened, and I think in one version of it, it also tags whether or not the crime was was gang related, hmm. and I th- think that that was one of the points of controversy that that you know saying something was gang related is you know in and of itself uh, a kind of a racial bias.
0: I see. Um, hmm. All right. So continue. So and one of the things that interested me in reading your blog posts is you said that as sort of the departmental pressure accumulated um, against your colleague, you actually offered to stand up to this pressure. And uh, if I remember right, your, your colleague said, well, thanks, but no thanks. Just stay out of it.
1: Yes. uh, And I don't want to speculate on what his strategy was in facing this, but it certainly seemed like, um, uh, you know, rather than a a public confrontation, uh, that he wanted to disassociate himself from the department. um, They they weren't threatening to fire him. uh, So, you know, he still had his teaching. uh, He, you know, still had his salary um, and he still did some of his research. uh, that, that's my interpretation of what was going on.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a difficult decision that, that some, uh, heretical researchers have to make is, is, uh, can you hold on to the position, uh, even while you're effectively ostracized from, from any, uh, aspect of department life. And I think it makes sense that different people would, would weigh the hardship of that differently um so you're observing this and and what's what's the breaking point then for you just the aftermath or does 2020 come along and take it to a whole new level or or what
1: so well part of it was that that um the this the public torment of jeff Branningham was not finished with yet and uh in march 2020 um a um, flyer appeared uh, in the halls of the department and I, I posted that in, with the blog that um, uh, that called for a meeting to, um, uh, uh, let me see here if I can, it's best to quote the thing directly, um, um, academic complicity to academic rebellion um uh join with the fight with your thought and action as many other UCLA faculty and students are rebelling and speaking out against academic complicity and taking action exclamation point um and this uh, campaign uh in, involved not just grad students but 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 faculty in our department um uh and uh so the fact that this was happening and the way it was being treated in the department which no one publicly talked about Jeff um, uh And um, the people who had taken the lead in ostracizing him were central figures in the department. And the things that were said in faculty meetings uh, were so discordant with what was actually going on about, oh, we're, we're, all, we're a family here, we're here for each other. Um, it got to be really difficult to listen to this sort of thing. Uh, and in private conversation, some of my colleagues would admit that, yes, uh, Jeff's been treated abominably. Um, but, um, but in, but, but in, in, in public, um, it was the people who, who had, um, banished him, who, who prevailed. There were other people, things, though.
0: Those types are scary, though. Like, I mean, there's, I think that's fairly common that, that there's a certain type of person who can see the craziness of academic politics, but who are are not a type of confrontational person who could stand up to the the dressing down that they would receive from the most radical colleagues um if they voiced their opposition
1: yes there's um well you know people people place a high value on on social cohesion and harmony um and it, yes it can be very difficult to um throw that away um, Another one of the last straws was um, and this is going to sound this is going to sound vague that's unavoidable um, but I was on a committee um, and the committee was charged with um, allocating scarce resources, scarce opportunities um, and in these kinds of deliberations it's a it is um, a major consideration is, to what extent the different, the people who are contending for this these resources will advance diversity, right? Um, now, um, and here, the question came up as to whether a person who uh, claimed to be a non-binary gender should be counted as um, as promoting, as advancing or contributing to diversity and therefore being, um, uh, receiving favorable treatment in, in, in the allocation of scarce resources. Now I'm, I'm opposed to racial preferences, but I can see that there's a, there's a case to be made for them. Whereas the idea that people of non-binary gender should, um, count as advancing diversity and therefore be receive preferential treatment, that's something else. It's something else altogether. Um, for one thing, um, the category of, being of non-binary gender was it, ten years ago. It didn't exist, or it didn't exist outside the minds of a, of a small number of academics. So it can't be said that these people have been uh, historically marginalized or excluded because the, cate- the social category ha- has no history. And the other and and another thing is that um, belonging to a racial category is the criteria for it. Well they're not they're, okay, they're not objective but they are publicly verifiable. And the reason we know that is because there've been cases mostly academics in which white people were uh, exposed as having falsely claimed to be black or native american and then were disgraced. Um I heard well, a
0: case like that in Massachusetts politics.
1: Um yes and there was there was yes <laughs> certainly that. Um although these these academics Faced, you know, even um, uh, even harsher uh, penalties for this. There was someone called Jessica Krug uh, at George Washington University. Um, uh, so, and there, there have been others too. So, well, but if it's possible for someone to falsely claim to be to um, uh, belong to a racial category, then that must mean that there are publicly verifiable criteria for membership. Whereas, what would it even mean for someone to falsely claim? To be of non-binary gender. It, doesn't, it can't mean anything at all because the only basis for being of non-binary gender is the claim itself. Yeah. Um, so, so here you have this category which is which just invented and membership in it is solely by by self-assignment um, and people of this category are, it, were supposed, to, are supposed to get preferential treatment. And to me, there's no there's no case to be made for this at all. It's 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 both absurd and, and unfair. But on this committee, I realized that if I would expressed any doubts about this, then I would have been tagged as a bigot, and also possibly even worse than that, I would have been tagged as someone who's gumming up the institutional machinery, uh, who's wasting people's time in the in a culture war argument. Uh, when you know this committee has an agenda, it has to get through. Um, and, and, and so, and so I, 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 I didn't say anything, I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but it occurred to me that this sorts of thing is just gonna happen again and again and again from now on, that um, uh, I'm going to be, face this, this decision of um, um, keep quiet and live by lies or um, speak up and um, would, which wouldn't change anyone's mind, it would only lead to my own uh, marginalization.
0: So you've you've put your finger on a, a difficult question that I have. You said that you were starting graduate school in the 1980s, early 1980s, at which point I was three or four years old. Um, and so now you are probably approaching what would be a realistic retirement age anyway. Um, I'm 44 uh, and I have mixed feelings when I hear about cases like yours, um, partly when i heard about your case i thought well good for joe you know like good for him that's a that's a strong move but then another part of me is like (laughs) if everybody does what you did then we hand over whatever's left of of i guess the the institution to the worst elements in the institution if you were my age today right? And let's say that the, the, the money wasn't a concern. Let's say you, you had the money to to be able to retire, except at my age, you know, early 40s. Um, uh, would you still do it? Or would that be a different scenario? I mean, what, what advice would you give to somebody who might be 20 years younger than you about how to inhabit the university for the next 20 or 30 years from now, or to depart to it altogether?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm very reluctant to give advice of that kind. Um, so, um, well, I, I study personality variation, um, but I think you don't need to study it to just, uh, to, as just as a, as a person to understand how different people are from each other and what's best for one person is not necessarily best for another. Um, I, you know, I didn't see myself as um, as a person who could be a successful, active, outspoken dissident, um, but some people are, and 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 they would do more good both to themselves and to institutions by um, staying in their jobs. Um, so I'm sorry that probably sounds like I'm. <laughs> No,
0: no, it's Ducking. understandable. It's a, if, if I was in your position, I might not want to give a definitive answer either because you don't want to influence the decision-making of other people for such an important important decision that everybody needs to make on their own terms. Um, and yet, I'm sorry that you will not be um, teaching next semester. Um, I wonder if we can shift to a discussion of discussion of uh, the field of anthropology in general. Um, I had a chance to talk to Peter Wood from the National Association of Scholars a few weeks back. Um, when he was a professor, he was an anthropologist. And he said that, that this field is all but lost now. I also read on Minding the Campus this week that I think uh, Professor Salzman, I think up at uh, McGill, Um, It says something very similar that anthropology is in big trouble. Um, I think that for many people, at least in higher ed, the vision that we have of anthropology is not the vision that we have of English departments or or psychology departments or um, sociology departments. And yet, it seems when I look at high-profile anthropologists talking about the state of anthropology, it seems that the 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 sort of woke infatada has has reached anthropology now. Um, what do you have to say about the state of the discipline?
1: Okay, so first, some background that some of some of your listeners might uh, might need. That so anthropology is consists of four subfields. There's sociocultural anthropology, which studies uh, cultural cultural variation um, and also commonalities. Um, there's archaeology, which also studies cultural variation, but cultural variation in the past, as we can learn about that from basically the garbage and ruins that people have left behind. Linguistic anthropology, and that's just because language is both uniquely human and it's so central to the human condition that it, it merits its own subfield. And biological anthropology, which studies humans as animals. And so this includes um, the human fossil record and um, uh, uh, human genetic variation and human adaptations to extreme environments like high altitude and, um, uh, and, and non-human primate behavior. So for a few decades, there's been a trend for sociocultural anthropologists to become less and less Certainly, less and less science, less and less scientists, and even less and less um, uh, disinterested scholars, and more and more a political activists. Um, and um, so, so Peter Wood um, uh, wrote an article in 2016. Um, the title of it was um, "How Anthropology Was Corrupted and Killed." And um, one of the sentences in that article is. Anthropology departments today typically include a few people who know about a few people who know about DNA and evolution as a biological anthropologist, and a whole lot of other people committed to social justice by celebrating one or another kind of victimhood. Well, since that since twenty sixteen, it's gotten a lot worse. In that even today, even many biological anthropologists are on board the so called social justice bandwagon, um, and here's just a couple of examples. Um, well, first. Okay, first some some background about what what we what biologists mean by the male-female phenomenon. Um, that, um, uh, so in organisms that reproduce by means of gametes, um, uh, almost uh, the vast majority of the vast majority of, of multicellular organisms, um, there, are, uh, there are exactly two size classes of gametes this the smaller ones we call sperm and the larger ones we call eggs that is so that's the definition of the male female phenomenon to a biologist
0: sex this is you know the, the what's the concept of biological sex is premised on
1: right yes this is the concept of biological sex at the gamete level now at the individual level there are some species like earthworms in which individuals are hermaphrodites they produce both eggs and sperm and then there's some like clownfish in which Individuals at any one time will produce only one type of gamete, but under certain circumstances they can switch.
0: This doesn't in, seem to happen in the human population.
1: In, <laughs> in all all mammals, uh, there, there are no functional hermaphrodites in any mammal. So so mammals are, are the, the mammalian body is designed by natural selection to produ- reproduce either exclusively as a female or exclusively as a male. Okay, now just... This, earlier this year, a prominent biological anthropologist named Augustin Fuentes, who's at Princeton, and who, by the way, was one of the signatories of this set of demands from a few hundred Princeton faculty to their administration calling for, among other things, um, a university committee that will monitor professors' research and punish professors for, quote-unquote, racist research. Um, this was the petition that... Um, um, Joshua Katz wrote a um, an argument against, and that it was the beginning of of, of of his ordeal. So, so Fuentes is, is an he's an avowed enemy of academic freedom. This article, it's not in the peer reviewed journal; it's in some kind of uh, you know popularized science uh, online right, magazine. I I mean. Yeah, so the title of it is um, um, Let's see. The title, I want to get the title right here. Um, Biological science rejects the sex binary, and that's good for humanity. This, in this article, the words gamete or ovum or sperm, they do not occur at all. So all the facts that he cites in the article they're completely irrelevant to the question that the article supposedly addresses. What you're
0: saying is all the biological elements of sex don't come into play in this discussion of that we're doing away with biological sex.
1: So it's it's what he cites are 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 certain correlates uh, some correlates which are restricted some to certain taxa certain groupings of, of organisms. Um, so he says, well, you know there's some species in which um, males do more of the care of, of, of young offspring than females do uh, uh, and um, and there's some species in which females are more um, aggressive and pugnacious than males are. So ha <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know this is this is it's pseudoscience um, and yet this is someone you know, someone who's very prominent in the field. Um, the next example and this, was in a peer-reviewed journal, um, the International Journal of Primatology. It's an article calling for the renaming of primate species that were named for um, people who were uh, imperialists or you know participated in imperialism. See, oppressors. Um, oppressors, exactly. So we we you know we need to rename rename primate species that have been named after oppressors. And one of the one of the people uh, who is condemned in this way is Diane Fossey, the um, the researcher who started studying mountain gorillas. Um, and uh, there's now a species of tarsier that's named after Diane Fossey. And um, apparently, Fossey had had racist attitudes and treated uh, Rwandan people badly. Although, as I understand it, it was that she treated poachers badly. It wasn't that it wasn't that she was biased against all Rwandans, but uh, she was you know, very incensed by by poaching. So, one of the authors of this article is David Watts, who got his start, did his dissertation research, and and built his early reputation on studying uh, the mountain gorillas at Diane Fossey's study site. Um, so, um, and I can tell you from personal experience that. Setting up a, a study site study primates in the wild is involves a lot of unglamorous drudgery uh, uh, habituating the animals to human presence so that they don't run away they, they just you know go about what looks like their normal activities, learning to recognize individuals, things like cutting trails um, uh, so this is a huge amount of work and then other people can benefit from it so so David watts owes a debt of gratitude to Diane Fossey. And yet here he is in print saying that, you know, she should be stripped of her honors. Um, and, you know, of course, our predecessors, no matter what our field, our predecessors were um, were flawed human beings, and we're flawed human beings too. Um, and if if we're going to make it a prerequisite for being honored that someone be morally pure, well, then we're not going to be able to honor anyone.
0: So let me ask you a a little bit about um, anthropology. You mentioned uh, this uh, as a subfield, and recently I've read that there's a push um, from certain woke quarters to no longer identify human remains as being male or female because we can't possibly know how those people identified uh, when they are living. Um, this sounds to me like an example of the sort of social activists wing of the discipline that you talk about. And I can understand how this would work in an English department, right? Like in an English department, here's how it would work. You assign your students the novel called The Awakening by Kate Chopin, right? And then you say, what'd you think about the story? And they say, oh, that woman in that beach house had it so awful. She was so put upon. And then you say, yes, and that's still the way it is for women. I don't quite understand like how this would work in anthropology. What do you do? Do you go back and look at these sort of ancient cultures or societies and say and see there was oppression there too? Um like how does that what's the move? I don't understand how does how does anthropological anthropological research become leveraged for activist purposes? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Um I think, with regard to um, to interpreting or reconstructing what was going on in ancient societies, it's um, it, it. I don't know if it can be. I don't think it can be leveraged directly for activist purposes. It, it, this is only, this is an example of just a kind of well, playing with words that that uh, postmodernists like to do. I think that with regard to studying contemporary societies. There seems to me a growing trend to condemning any interpretation of um, the cultures of non-white people by white people, any interpretation that's coming from outside of the culture itself. So there's a move that to press anthropologists into service either as basically just Stenographers, so just re- reporting what the people themselves say, not interpreting anything, or or becoming becoming full time activists. So so yes, you, you you the white ethnographer could be justified in 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 doing fieldwork among non white people if he or she um, is mostly involved in you know lobbying on their behalf against against governments or against oil companies or what have you. That's okay, but to do what ethnographers have traditionally done, which is to, uh, to interpret people's way of life, um, that's, that's increasingly frowned upon.
0: Hmm. Right. This is, uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Mary Louise Pratt, an English professor who wrote a little bit about ethnography and at least in my field is, is kind of the person who's remembered for teaching us all that ethnography is bad and that, autoethnography is the only morally acceptable way to approach any understanding of any culture that's not your own. Um, you also talked a little bit about just sort of contemporary identity categories. And one thing that I noticed in some of your writing is sort of you allude in various places to the soft anti-Semitism that uh, obtains on campus. How does that fit into this, this I basically the cult of victimhood. Um, you know, it seems, it always seems to be strange that for people who are so attuned to cultural or identitarian grievance that they completely forget about the history of Jewish people in the 20th century and, and what exactly was prosecuted against them. What's your take on this?
1: Well, there's, um, there's a really good essay by James Lindsay, um, I think the title of it is um critical race theory has a jewish problem um and uh it's it's a long and and deep essay there's um for one thing um if you think about oppression uh simplistically in terms of skin color okay the lighter skinned people are pressing the darker skinned people then that makes it very difficult to fit in the the history of the persecution of the Jews because they they weren't distinguished from European Christians uh uh by by skin color that's one thing um another thing is that um some of the if you look at the historical rationales for Jew hatred in Europe often they had they were Jews were portrayed as oppressors themselves okay as as um um you know, as the uh,
0: moneylenders and the,
1: such. right? Exactly, moneylenders and and uh, you know uh, lackeys of the ruling class, um, uh, and also um, that. Um, well, okay. Th- that, those, those are the so those are the two pieces of it that I'm confident that I can I can convey accurately. But but there's um, uh, it, it's it's. Jews are hard to for 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 woke ideology, as fixated as it is on notions of oppression, it's very difficult for it to fit Jews in as being um, as being oppressed, um, and you know this yeah gets taken to abs- absurd absurd uh, lengths sometimes, um, uh, and then of course in in recent times well. So, Jew hatred is like is very chameleon-like, um, and it has changed over the centuries to fit with the to to match the the background the the prevailing worldview. Um, and so there was there was Christian Jew hatred. So the the answer to the question What's wrong with those Jews?" is well, they don't accept Christ. Um, there was a brand of enlightenment Jew hatred, people like Voltaire saying, well, what's wrong with the Jews? It's exactly the opposite. They gave the world Christianity and now they're the among the most backward people in Europe, superstitious and, 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 and clinging to medieval ways. And then there was that it was socialist Jew hatred. Well, what's wrong with the Jews is that is that they're, um, they're, their God is actually money. That's what Marx said. That was nationalist Jew hatred. What's wrong with the Jews is that they're not really true sons and daughters of the soil. Which then morphed into racialized Jew hatred, but the fashionable kind today, it fitting with the fashionable um, uh, ideologies, is is anti-nationalist or post-nationalist Jew hatred. So what's wrong with the Jews is that they insist on having a nation, an ethno-state, the worst possible kind of state. Um, when enlightened opinion says that uh, uh, you know we must, um, that, that the, the, if the, there's
0: going to be a state, then it better be a diverse one.
1: Exactly, and the nationalism is you know, the nationalism leads to 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 war and and perse- and and genocide and and the, the whole of the nation state is just it's a very suspect construct all around. Um, hmm.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's it's kind of shocking. Sometimes I think about you know, for as minoritarian as higher ed is in its orientation. It's like the two minorities that arguably you would least want to inhabit openly on a college campus are devout Jew or evangelical Christian. And yet those those two categories have very little standing in the, the moral hierarchy of, of the woke dispensation.
1: Right. So, um, yeah, so the... There's very there's little or no effort to empirically assess um, oppressed versus oppressor status. It's it's very much a kind of deductive um, uh, and and then you know fixed kind of uh, uh, fixed and unchallengeable structure as to intuition. You know, yes. Yes.
0: Yep. So how do you think we got here? I mean, you've been in and around universities for, you know, like you said, since the early eighties, I mean, was the element that's empowered now, the the revolutionary element within higher ed, were, were they always there sort of waiting for their moment um, or if it really has gotten more acute? over the last decade if uh if they've been more overt in in honestly stating their aspirations for the culture of the university how did we get here what happened
1: oh i think like like any um like any social phenomenon or for that matter even trying to explain the behavior of one individual in one situation there's always a multi-causal explanation so there are lots of things going on there's um uh, um, there's the gradual, um, uh, the, the, the long march through the institutions as more and more positions of power uh, are occupied by people holding this ideology. There's um, the, um, uh, what Peter Turchin calls, elite overproduction. And so we now we, we hand out more credentials that are supposed to be tickets into the elite than there are positions in the elite. That leads to ferocious competition and woke ideology provides an excellent arena for the competition. So if you can discover some hitherto uh, un, un, um, unrecognized form of oppression, which can be, you know, just a form of the, the way people use language or some other kind of symbolic behavior, then you can distinguish yourself from your competitors. And if you can brand your competitors as oppressors, that's even better. Um, and if you're an
0: employer or uh, seeking graduate students and you've got a lot, a lot of qualified candidates, now you've got some criteria that can serve as a tiebreaker.
1: Exactly. There's um, the rise of victimhood culture. The uh, Bradley Campbell and Jason Manning have written a book about this, that, you know, there was at one point in Western history, there was a culture of honor, then there was a culture of dignity. Uh, now what's replaced that is, is the culture of victimhood, which resembles the culture of honor in that people are supposed to become upset, take umbrage at being insulted. But unlike the culture of honor, you're not supposed to take revenge on your own behalf, you're supposed to run to the authorities or, or the court of public opinion and portray yourself as a victim. Um, and then there's also, and this is closely related to this, is um, what Lukianoff and Haidt call the coddling of the American mind, the rise of safetyism rooted in child-rearing practices in which um, uh, um, children are taught that they deserve to be absolutely safe, including from the emotional upset. Um, and um, I think that that has so looking on off and Hy, the original article where they made this argument was in 2015, it has gone into overdrive uh, during the pandemic. Um, as a result. I would say not as a result of the pandemic, but as a result of, of the, the, the predominant public health response of the pandemic in this country. I had this experience this last winter border and I'd already I'd already decided to retire. So at this point I didn't care anymore about the teaching evaluations. Um, so um, now how much time do we have left?
0: Or we could talk for 10 more minutes, I think.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this story short then. Um, the university said, we're going back to in-person instruction. We'd been on purely remote instruction for over a year. And they said, okay, at the end of January, when the Omicron wave had somewhat subsided, so we're, we're going back to in-person instruction. So I said, okay, we're going back. And um, uh, I rec- all my lectures are recorded. So students could, they didn't actually have to come to class to hear the lectures, but I did insist on having in-person exams for various reasons. It just, it's it's impossible to have proper exams remotely. I I had discovered that. And um, 20% of the students and all six of my teaching assistants wrote me this petition demanding that I have the exam be an online exam, that it was just too dangerous to have 300 people uh, in the same room for an hour. Um, uh, And remember, you know, these are, almost all these are people are under 30 and in good health, okay, they're at much lower risk of of, of Of severe illness from covid than than I am. Um, uh, and um and this uh, and i I wrote a message to the entire roster and explained, you know why why I was doing this, and uh, I took a very diplomatic tack and said, well, you know the same experts who told us at the beginning of the pandemic that we have to isolate ourselves, now they're saying it's safe to congregate again. Um, but um uh, my the numerical ratings I got on the evals were just, <laughs> <laughs> Down in the sub-basement, uh, people wrote that it was terrible how I'd endangered them like this by by forcing them to uh, sit in a room with 300 other with three hundred people for an hour. Um the most
0: shocking part of that story to me is that all of your teaching assistants were willing to do this, which I think says a lot. <laughs> uh,
1: yes. When I was a
0: graduate yes. student, boy, if 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 you come at your supervising faculty like that, you better have a legit grievance, not some complaint about sitting in a room for an hour.
1: That's, that's where we're at. And, um, actually five out of the six were not even qualified to teach, to TA the course. Um, they, they, they had never even taken an introductory level course in the the material. They were learning it a week ahead of the students.
0: Well, what's to learn, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so is it salvageable? I mean, I think that your answer, I, I think, and I might be wrong, so if I am, correct me, I think that your answer is no, the institution's gone.
1: Um, i The reason that I'm... Okay, well, first, um, there are some things that political action and judicial action um, to bring, especially state universities, to bring them to their senses... Is worth doing. Um, at least that way, we it's possible to stop unconstitutional violations of the right to free speech and the right to due process. Um, so those those things I'm 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 in favor of, um, and also ways of, you know, uh, sort of restricting the flow of money so that universities will be uh, under some pressure to employ fewer um, bureaucrats. Uh, woke enforcing bureaucrats, although I'm a little bit skeptical about that. I, I wonder if with less funding, they would just they would just abolish the classics department and some of the foreign language departments and keep all the bureaucrats. Um, but um, and also it's important to um, uh, for reform in K-12 education because as more and more students start university, having been completely indoctrinated, into wokeness in in high school it's going to become more and more difficult to uh, to improve things or you know, keep things from getting worse at the college level but the reason that i'm mostly enthusiastic about alternative institutions um, is this way well that the the okay the the sort of top down political and judicial action it's not it can't change the culture and then the culture is which things like safetyism and victimhood culture, which, are, which have given rise to, to this. Um, whereas alternative institutions then can be a kind of a sanctuary for 18-year-olds and their parents who who don't buy into the prevailing culture. Now, they they don't want to, they're not coddled, they don't want to portray themselves as victims, they want a serious education. Um, and over time, um, and you know, I don't like to think about higher education as a commodity. I don't think it should be, but unavoidably there are you know market dynamics at work. And so if these alternative institutions like um like University of Austin can um, draw more and more of the, the the best of the 18-year-olds and more and more of the of the the money from donors, then this might put pressure on at least some of the established uh, higher education institutions to, um, uh, they'll, they'll change their ways just to be able to compete. Um, so a kind of selection process will take place. Um, so I, I don't envision the demise of, uh, the great universities, but I, I think that, um, uh, some of them will, will, like in, in the most optimistic scenario, some of them will survive by changing, um, in the face of competition from alternative institutions.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of will to set different kinds of those institutions up. I'm I'm not sure that there are the patronage networks just yet among the donor class to make that happen. Um, It's really,
1: it's very difficult. People are so attached to their alma maters. Um, So I I, I received a few emails from from alumni uh, after my blog post um, saying, oh, yeah, the university is not what it was when I was there. Um, And I write back to them and I say, okay, well, now it's up to you to stop donating and and write to the chancellor and say, I'm not donating more. And here's why. And instead, I'm sending my money to, you know, to fire or to one of these alternative institutions. Absolutely.
0: Um, If there are any alumni listening to this conversation, you need to know that the number one. You know, uh, pressure that you could put on a, an academic institution, especially a public one, is to withhold any donations of that sort and make sure they know why they're being withheld. Yeah. So, Joe, you're free now, in a sense. Um, you, I hope that you will remain a a vocal critic of uh, the the powers that now be. In, in higher ed, uh, especially since in, in some sense, you are ungagged. Um, you've said that you plan to continue your research, um, and I'm quite happy about that. But I also hope that you will continue to write about um, uh, your experience in the university, different ways that, that we could reform um, what exists or create what doesn't um and and also to help us remember the old university um before before the change i want to thank you for being here today
1: well thanks for having me um and uh this has been a great discussion and i hope uh people get something out of it
0: i'm sure they will thanks a lot